It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's to the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff, and it's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is time for Midweek with Manish. Actually going to do this a day early because we just had to talk about Jamal Adams. And we couldn't wait. Had to get this discussion out here because Manish and I have been texting back and forth. So figured might as well do this earlier than normal rather than just keep sending each other texts arguing about it. Manish Mehta covering the Jets for the New York Daily News. Manish... You kind of called that this was going to get a little hairier, but I think it's sort of reached a point that no one really expected, huh? Yeah, it's really unfortunate, I mean, regardless of what side you fall on. Uh, and I know that you and I are going to talk about that at length coming up here. Uh, it's it's unfortunate because I think it's it was avoidable, and that's probably why it's disconcerting. Uh, certainly if you're a Jets fan, and you know Jets fans are kind of, you know, pretty strong in voicing their displeasure, I think, towards Jamal Adams, at least on social media. I mean, who knows about the, the larger fan base, but what you see on social media you know, has been very critical of the player. Uh, I understand why, but uh, I think the the reason that I think it's most unfortunate is because it really should have been avoidable. Uh, you know, no reason to have angst between a team and their best player. No question about it, and I think everybody from fans to the organization to probably some people in Jamal Adams' camp wished it hadn't come to this, but now we're in a spot where Jamal Adams is essentially saying he either wants his contract or he wants to get traded, or maybe he just wants to get traded and he doesn't even care anymore about getting the money from the Jets. Maybe he just wants out badly enough that he figures wherever he goes he'll eventually get his money, but it sure seems like he doesn't want to be here. Let's start with that, though, Manish, the perception. If Joe Douglas went to Jamal Adams tomorrow and said, you know what, let's get this contract done, do you think that would assuage Jamal from his trade demands, or do you think we've reached a point now where even that wouldn't do anything? Uh, no, in the, in the scenario that you just laid out, uh, if Joe Douglas said, let's make a deal happen right now, let's talk hard numbers, uh, I, I'm fairly certain that Jamal Adams would be amenable to that. So I don't think it's you know dead and buried in that sense. I just believe that Jamal Adams doesn't think that the scenario that you laid out is practical, given what has transpired over the last six months. Uh, you know, I I understand both sides of uh, of this you know issue, in that I know that the team believes that because Jamal Adams is under you know their contractual control for three to four years when you factor in the fifth-year option next year and then perhaps franchise tags for the subsequent two years. You know, that puts you at four years out. Uh, That's all true. I also understand from a player's perspective, 
uh, when you hear the general manager publicly after the season say that he wants to talk to Jamal Adams and his representatives and he wants to make Jamal Adams a quote-unquote jet for life, when you hear that publicly and then that gets reinforced privately, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect movement in negotiations over a six-month period. We're talking about you know the back half of June right now, so you know, almost six months has transpired since Joe Douglas said what he did publicly and, and again, mentioned privately. The fact that there hasn't been any real movement has been disconcerting from Jamal Adams' perspective. I totally understand that. And, you know, all I would say is, you know, I put myself in that position. You know, obviously I'm not a football player. I'm not going to be making untold millions. Any contract negotiations I have with employers pale in comparison when you're talking about the raw numbers. But just conceptually speaking, if you are in Jamal Adams' position, I think it's fair to expect an open dialogue, right, to have a clear path of communication. Uh, you may not always agree with what the team's saying. The team may not agree with what your position is. But as long as there's an open, continuous flow of information, uh, you know, I think that that is healthy. And I think that ultimately would result in some kind of middle ground, some kind of compromise. However, when the lines of communication are muddied initially and then fractured, I think that's what rubs Jamal Adams the wrong way, as it would me, to be honest. And frankly, I think if you polled most Jet fans – if you presented that scenario to them, uh, they would agree with Jamal Adams. You just want communication, right? You you want to have an understanding of where the team is coming from. I don't think you want periods of darkness, you know, periods of no communication. Uh, that is frustrating, just on a human level. You know that that can be annoying and irritating. And I think after uh, a period of time for Jamal Adams, it's five or six months now. Uh, I think you get to the point where you you think, you know what? You know, you've been given some assurances privately. You know what the organizational head has said publicly, yet there's no movement and there's really extremely poor communication. Then why would I want to be here? So that's kind of where we're at right now. But in a perfect scenario, if Joe Douglas picked up the phone right now and, and told Jamal Adams, hey, you know what? Let's forget about what has happened here. I know you're unhappy. Uh, you know, we're not particularly pleased that you have said some of the things. Uh, on social media that you have said. However, we want to keep you. Let's get a deal done. Let's get a deal done now. Let's move toward getting a deal done this offseason. I think if the Jets took that tack, uh, I'm fairly certain that Jamal Adams would be open to it. I'm not going to speculate in terms of who's been talking to who and what the communication has been like because obviously I have no way of knowing that for sure. I haven't spoken to Joe Douglas and Jamal Adams is out here saying what he's saying, but we have no way of knowing whether he's telling the truth. What I can say is he was talking about how the pandemic isn't an excuse. I think it's pretty legitimate reason to have to second guess what you want to do financially. I don't know if that was explained to him, but the way that Jamal said it, it sort of sounded like somebody articulated that to him. And Manish, as you said many times on this show and in the Daily News, the Jets appear to be cash-strapped. So when you put that together, maybe something changed. Maybe Jamal was told something at one point, and then things changed, circumstances changed. I really have no way of knowing this, but what I can say is that for him to conduct himself the way that he has makes me believe that he is trying to push the Jets into a situation where they either pay him or he pushes the eject button and he gets out of here. 
I think just based on the fact that there have been credible reports that he would be willing to go elsewhere without signing the extension right now, that he'd be willing to defer on that extension, that tells you a lot about whether or not he actually wants to be here. If he gets paid a small fortune, as you were saying, then maybe he would stay. But short of that, it sounds like he's trying to do everything he can to get out of here. The problem from where I sit is that Jamal Adams doesn't actually have much leverage. As much as he may think he does, I can't see what that leverage is because the Jets have control of his rights for at least the next three years. Unless he wants to sit out the season, which Antonio Cromartie, who has become his new best buddy, more or less said on Twitter he is not going to do. I believe his words were something to the effect of, if he doesn't get paid, he'll still go about being the best safety in the game in year number four. That tells you all you need to know. Jamal Adams is not going to sit out. So if you're Joe Douglas, what you do is you sit back and you say, look, I'd like to get a deal done with Jamal, but maybe the circumstances have changed. Can't get it done now. Going to have to wait till next offseason. If some team calls and offers a great deal, then we'll turn around and trade him. But if not, going to see you in September for the start of the season, Jamal. He has to put it out there that he's not going to be bullied into accepting a trade that he doesn't want to take just because Jamal Adams is going and saying things on Twitter and Instagram and even in a video where somebody captures him saying that he's trying to get to the Dallas Cowboys. So if you're Joe Douglas, I can't really speak to what the communication has been like thus far, but if it has been subpar then he should probably get on the same page with Adams and his reps, at least make contact and try and iron this out so that at least they all understand where this is headed. But he also cannot let himself seem weak or get pushed over by Adams and his camp because if he turns around and placates Jamal Adams without getting a great return, now he's opening the floodgates for everybody else on the Jets, either now or in the future, that's going to want to push that same button. Well, look, what I can tell you uh, initially, uh, you know, when you when you mentioned uh, these points, and there are a lot of good points, and some points, believe it or not, Scott, that I agree with you on. <laughs> but I, I want to address the pandemic portion of it because the pandemic is a red herring when it comes to the Jets and finances. Uh, the Jets determined long before we were even aware uh, of a pandemic that. They were going to have a pretty tight budget this offseason. They were not going to have a lot of cash flow available to Joe Douglas. And that's a decision made by Woody Johnson, who was the owner of the team, uh, and the people that take care of Woody's finances. And obviously the caretaker of the organization in the short term is Christopher Johnson. So you know, that's, in essence, the brain trust, if you will, of the organization. And the brain trust decided that they were not going to spend a lot of cash this offseason, not just for Jamal Adams, for, for everybody. So when you look back at this offseason and look at the contracts that Joe Douglas doled out, as we have discussed ad nauseum and as Jet fans are fully aware, uh, there's a litany of one-year deals or de facto one-year deals, you know, three-year deals dressed up, uh, but really one-year deals for the most part because Joe Douglas had a lot of holes to fill, uh, roster spots to fill, 20-plus of them, uh, right? 20, well, I don't remember what the free agent number was off the top of my head, but it was over 20. So he had a lot of roster spots to fill and very little cash, relatively speaking, to give out to players. So this isn't necessarily just about Jamal Adams. It's about uh, the organizational philosophy this offseason. And there was a cash flow restriction given to Joe Douglas by ownership. 
and that has in effect shaped Joe Douglas's entire off-season plan. So there, this notion that Joe Douglas was super creative and you know he held firm on all of these deals and he gave out all these one-year deals well look by and large i think if you're being objective about it he gave out one-year deals to you know second and third tier free agents and you know if you got joe douglas at a private moment 10 years from now i'm sure he'll, i'm sure he'll admit that but the reality is that his entire plan was uh predicated on the financial constraints uh that he had to work under and that ex- started in free agency. That extends to Jamal Adams right now. And that, to me, is the focal point, the central point of this discussion. Now, that does not absolve Joe Douglas at all for how he has handled or mishandled the Jamal Adams situation. Because, again, if your bosses are saying, hey, look, we're only going to give you X amount of dollars, you know, you're hamstrung uh, to a certain degree – but as the general manager, you still have to do a much better job communicating with these players uh, in free agency, and you especially have to do a much better job communicating with your best player. So that's where I think uh, Joe Douglas needs to improve upon. And look, I honestly believe that Joe Douglas has good intentions. I have no reason to think otherwise. I don't think Joe Douglas is a duplicitous person in any way. I think Joe Douglas knows what he doesn't know. Uh, he's extremely inexperienced. The, the bulk of his professional career uh, is centered on scouting players, and I think uh, you know he's done a fairly good job uh, at different points in his career in uh, not only scouting good players but signing good players in free agency. And as we have discussed in the past, Scott, uh, I thought he made some absolutely terrific moves in free agency that ultimately set the stage for a Super Bowl winning team in Philadelphia. So he absolutely deserves credit there. However, he has not dealt in negotiations, especially some big-time negotiations, and that's what this Jamal Adams situation is. You're talking about a big-time player. He's never done that. This is the first go-around for him, and I'm not making an excuse for him. I'm just laying out that that is the reality. And I think that, frankly, he will get better at that. Uh, But I think he, he, he needed to do a better job to this point uh, in how he handled the Joe, the Jamal Adams negotiation. It's not over yet, obviously, so he can improve even now. He can improve every day. He can get better every day, and I honestly believe that uh, you know he, he has it in him to, to improve, but that doesn't discount the fact that I think that he mishandled certain things this entire offseason uh, you know, regarding players other than Jamal Adams and regarding Jamal Adams right now. Uh, you know, how Jamal has responded – is a fascinating discussion. You know, I, I, I am not going to defend Jamal for, you know, what he has said on social media. Now, may, you know, maybe I'm in the minority here, but, you know, a, a fan in Dallas screaming at him as he's driving away, asking him, hey, do you want to play for Dallas? And him saying as he's driving off, that's what I'm trying to do, or whatever he said, that's not a big deal to me. <laughs> we already know that he, re- we officially, that he officially requested a trade. So that, to me, is not a big deal at all. He's an, he's an emotional person. Uh, you know, he's a 24-year-old emotional player. And he feels as if he was given an indication by the organization that he would get an extension. He has not seen any tangible movement to suggest that he's going to get an extension this offseason. And, uh, and he's upset. And he, do, he doesn't have a level of trust, I believe, uh, towards the people in the organization. And as I said in the very beginning, frankly, I think I would feel the same way. I think I would respond in a different manner than Jamal has. 
Uh, you know, I'm not a big social media guy, so I probably wouldn't have gone down that route. You know, I'm also not 24 years old, so you know, maybe I'm an old head and you know, I would take mm-hmm. a different path. But uh, all that being said, I, I think it's incumbent upon both parties, frankly, to come to the table and just have an open line of communication. I think if you have an open line of communication, uh, both sides can be happy, ultimately. And I don't know what that's going to mean. And I know that Jamal Adams doesn't see that there's a path to that right now. Maybe he ultimately is proven right. But I don't think it does the organization any good, Scott, to, you know, to say, hey, you know what? We got control. You want to sit out? You're going to lose an accrued season. And all that does is increase the the acrimony. I, there's no reason to to heighten the the mistrust and, and to antagonize the player. You know, at this point, I don't think it matters. Like, whose fault is it? Is it Jamal's fault? Is it Joe Douglas's fault? Is it Chris, Christopher Johnson's fault? The bottom line is that it it it, it behooves everyone to repair any ill feelings. And I don't think it's too late to be repaired. I mean, maybe Joe Douglas disagrees. Maybe Jamal Adams disagrees with me. I just am looking at this objectively, and this is a dynamic young player who's a homegrown player. The Jets, frankly, would be foolish to trade him. They should keep him for the long term, beyond the next two, three, four years, and they should compensate him for what he has earned. So it's a complicated equation. I see both sides to it, uh, but uh, I also understand if you've got adults in the room, Adults should get together and uh, and open up discussion because the only way this is going to get solved is to have a free-flowing dialogue. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Manish, let's talk about how likely a move is here because you said that the Jets would be foolish to trade Jamal Adams. And I do agree unless they're made a really, really strong offer. But something happened in Dallas today that Charles Robinson of Yahoo is making into something sort of interesting with his continued chatter on the Jamal Adams to the Cowboys speculation He says, why would the Cowboys' Dak Prescott sign his franchise tag now? Which, as we're recording this, that's the report. Tactically, if Dallas wants to pursue a trade and extension for Jamal Adams, having Dak's tag on the books makes it tougher. A Prescott extension makes an Adams trade easier. By doing this, Prescott just added incentive to get his extension done. So, first of all, do you agree with Charles on that, that perhaps Prescott is signing his franchise tag now as a way of pressuring the Cowboys because he knows that they're going after Jamal Adams? And what do you think the odds are that something actually gets done here? Do you think he gets traded, whether it's to the Cowboys or to one of the other teams on his list? Or are we looking at a situation where they either work something out or the scenario that nobody really seems to want is he comes back unhappy for year number four? Well, I don't believe that Dak Prescott signing his franchise tag has anything to do with the Jamal Adams situation. I don't think that Dak is formulating a strategy based on what he believes the organization may or may not do with uh, another player on another team. Uh, that's just my view on it. Uh, I mean, obviously, only, only Dak knows you know, what the motive is. Uh, I don't see a scenario where a team would give up two ones. Let's just start. Let's start at the very top. I don't think a team would give up two first-round picks uh, right now for Jamal Adams. Uh, I know that you know people are pointing to what uh, the Jaguars got for Jalen Ramsey: two ones and a four. I, I don't believe that uh, the Jets, frankly, could get two ones for Jamal. Uh, I, I think the Jets are fully aware that that's not something that they could get. And uh, I, I agree with what you said uh, a few minutes ago, Scott. Uh, it would be foolish for Joe Douglas to take some kind of second-rate offer uh, just to move on from Jamal. I don't think that that's even in Joe Douglas's thinking, to be honest. I mean, he's not going to take uh, a deal just to take a deal. Now, if he got a team to call him tomorrow, if the Eagles called him tomorrow and Howie Roseman said, uh, I'll give you two ones for Jamal Adams. I'm going to be honest with you. I think Joe Douglas would pull the trigger on two ones. I, mean, I don't even think it would take that long for him to deliberate that. Uh, I just think that that uh, Douglas is fully aware that it's uh, it, it's extremely rare to get that kind of compensation for a, a non-quarterback, and I don't anticipate that the, the Jets would get anything like that. Uh, if they did, again, I think at that point, Joe Douglas would absolutely trade Joe, uh, Jamal Adams, but I don't think that's in the cards. I, I don't think that's going to happen. So what So what does happen? Uh, does Jamal get an, an extension this offseason? The only way he does is if ownership relaxes those cash flow restrictions. That's the only way that that can happen because – uh, I, I haven't looked into Joe Douglas's bank account. I'm fairly certain he doesn't have that kind of capital laying around, and he's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna foot the bill for the Johnsons. 
So the Johnsons would have to give Joe Douglas the green light to spend that kind of money up front to have, you know, to give Jamal Adams essentially a big time cash up front. And if that is not going to happen, then there is no way that Jamal Adams can get a long-term deal right now. Uh, and I, I think that's partly in Adams is thinking. I don't think he believes it's going to happen uh, in terms of, you know, the team being willing to spend that kind of cash right now. And that's probably why he believes that, uh, you know, no deal is going to happen before the season starts. So if there is no deal that happens, if there is no offer that is satisfactory uh, to Joe Douglas, to me, that means Jamal Adams is going to be on the Jets in 2020. He, he might not be happy. Uh, he might hold out. And, and again, you know, the notion that the new CBA makes it difficult for players to hold out because they'll lose, lose an accrued season toward free agency, while technically true, in this particular case, it does not really matter for practical purposes because Jamal Adams is getting a contract extension, whether it's in 2020 or 2021, whether it's from the New York Jets or another team. Within the next two years, he's getting a new deal from somebody. So the idea of technically losing a year toward free agency is largely irrelevant in his case, uh, not irrelevant in a lot of other players' cases. In fact, the lion's share of players uh, would not hold out because it would truly be a detriment uh, for them. But a player of Jamal Adams' caliber uh, doesn't have to worry about that. So I don't think it's any kind of deterrent for him. If he wanted to make some sort of statement by holding out, I don't know if that's going to happen. But if he wanted to do that, you know, the notion of losing a crude season is irrelevant to him. And uh, I think the team is fully aware that it's, it's, it's a moot point because, again, if it got to the point where the acrimony was so strong, uh, then you know that Jamal Adams is never going to play for the Jets again. I mean, the, you know, Joe Douglas would tell you that. Uh, Jamal Adams would tell you that. And, and, again, that's not a scenario that either side wants. That's the nuclear option. I don't believe we're going to get to that point. I think, you know, from a Jamal Adams perspective, the worst-case scenario is that you play for the New York Jets and you're not happy. Uh, and then you, frankly, you hope that you have a good season and perhaps most importantly, you you hope that you stay healthy because, uh, you know, every player has to worry about this. Jamal Adams, every player who's looking for a new deal, if something were to happen, God forbid, to Jamal uh, and he, he got – seriously injured uh you know the jets are not going to pay him i think that's just the bottom line it doesn't matter what was said before it doesn't matter what their intentions may or may not be if he suffered some kind of serious injury he would lose out he's fully aware of that uh, I, you know most players are, are aware of that there is really no loyalty so you know i always you know i always find it funny when players coaches management when they refer to themselves as a family because they're not a family it's it's a family by convenience. It's a family that'll cut you off when you can't help when they can't be when you can't help them anymore. Uh, you know, it's not a family. It's a business. It's a cold, unforgiving business on both sides, player and management. And uh, that's why I've always believed when you're a player and you have an opportunity to capitalize financially, you should not hesitate. You shouldn't, frankly, worry about what the team says. And uh, even though some fans may be unhappy with you, you frankly shouldn't have you shouldn't worry about them either because you have to look out for your best interest. Because if you don't look out for your best interest, nobody else will.
Manish, just to clarify Charles Robinson's tweet, Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap followed up by saying this. The tag was counting on the cap at $31.4 million, regardless of whether Prescott signed it or not. So I don't think it matters one way or the other. It will not make it any more or less difficult for Dallas right now. Cowboys have roughly $11 million in cap room. Adams will cost about $3.5 million in cap without an extension, 5 to $6 million with an extension. So... That puts a little bit of cold water on the whole Dak Prescott trying to squeeze the Cowboys for an extension theory. Manish, I will say this. I think that if Jamal Adams doesn't fetch an outstanding offer from another team, as you said, he's going to be here in 2020, and I think he's going to play. The question is, what would the offer be that would get him shipped somewhere? Now, you said two ones. I don't think that's going to happen. I also don't think they're just going to take a straight one or a one in a late round pick. What type of deal do you think it would take to get Jamal Adams? I've discussed the possibility of perhaps a first rounder and a player like Michael Gallup because I believe that the Jets are going to be looking for draft picks and young players who can contribute now because, as you said, they're not looking to add expensive pieces. What do you think it would take for Joe Douglas to pull the trigger on a Jamal Adams trade? Uh, I would say a one and a Pro Bowl caliber player, maybe not necessarily an established Pro Bowler, but maybe someone that has the potential to be uh, you know, that type of player. You mentioned Michael Gallup. Obviously, wide receiver is a position that's going to be important for the Jets moving forward given that right now Denzel Mims is hopefully, from a team perspective, going to be a part of their future, a foundational piece for them moving forward. Jamison Crowder will be entering uh, the final year of his deal in 2021, and uh, Brashad Perryman obviously is on a one-year deal. He's kind of a a wild card. So you do need wide receiver help. uh, Uh, Would Gallup fit the parameters? I don't know if Gallup in a one is enough, to be honest. I think uh, a one, a two, and Michael Gallup would uh, be extremely enticing for the Jets. And if you're a Cowboy fan, you're probably thinking, there's no way I'm doing that for Jamal Adams. Uh, But just from a Jet perspective, uh, a one, a two, and a quality player, uh, I think would, you know, I think that would make Joe Douglas think long and hard. Uh, You know, he clearly has an idea of what positions he would like to fortify, edge rusher being probably number one on that list, but I don't think you're going to find a dynamic edge rusher uh, and, and get that type of player along with a one uh, for Jamal Adams. You know, that's not realistic. That's not practical because teams don't like to, you know, rightfully so, don't like to give up you know, talented young edge rushers. There's a reason why they're in short supply. But uh, from a Jet perspective, I would say a one, a two, and a quality player would really uh, make it interesting for, for Joe Douglas. He would have to think long and hard uh, on pulling the trigger, but how many teams are out there that are willing to give up a one and a two and a quality player for Jamal Adams? You know, that's not something I can answer because I don't know. Manish, last sort of business, you mentioned Denzel Mims. He signed his rookie deal. The Jets now have two of their rookies under contract, Denzel Mims and Bryce Hall. Tell me a little bit about this signing and when can we start to expect to see even more of them? Yeah, uh, look, Mims is uh, the second of their nine draft picks. Bryce Hall is the other one, as you said, so you know, Makai Becton obviously still hasn't been signed. Uh, there's nothing to, to concern yourself with if you're a Jet fan. Uh, these deals get done. They'll get done uh, over the next month. Uh, they'll get done probably probably within a, a week, a uh, few days before training camp begins. 
Uh, I would not anticipate any kind of holdout. The last quote-unquote holdout the Jets had under this new rookie system was Sam Darnold because of, uh, you know, some particulars about how much money guaranteed he would get and offset language and different things of that nature. Uh, I don't think that's going to be any kind of issue with Makai Becton. Uh, certainly it's not going to be any kind of issue with the rest of these picks. So these guys are all going to be signed before before they actually hit the field, uh, whenever, whenever that may be. You know, right now, training camp is scheduled to start at the end of July, a couple weeks before the first preseason game. We'll see if, if things change over the next four or five weeks in terms of uh, how the NFL actually handles training camp and whether camps will open on time, on schedule, or be delayed. But uh, you know, getting these rookie contracts done, they're, they're, they're pretty straightforward. It's just a matter of you know, when they're going to get done because uh, you know, barring something really out of left field, I would not anticipate any kind of concerns over the, you know, these final seven draft picks getting done. Hopefully they get done in a timely manner and we get the season to start when it's supposed to start because I think we all really need some football right now. Manish Mehta covering the Jets for the New York Daily News. Thanks so much for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. I know you've got your top 20 countdown coming out in the Daily News. We're going to talk about it plenty here on the show over the next couple of weeks, including installment number one tomorrow. That's right. Double Manish on the podcast this week. Two episodes today and tomorrow. What can people expect to see in that countdown? Well, it's not really who the best players on paper are. and It's not really about who the most accomplished players are. So, you know, there's a lot of young players in there. It's, it's a projection. So it's, it's about who I believe will have the most impact uh, in 2020, uh, you know, it starts off with an interesting player, player that some some guys will probably disagree on, uh, you, yourself included, Scott. But, uh, you know, I, I look, I took some, some leaps of faith here because things never really turn out as you expect entering a season. There's always guys who you think are on track to do well and they disappoint, and there's some guys that come out of left field uh, that uh, make some significant jumps. So it's an interesting list. You know, it's a quiet time of year typically, uh, this would be the time after mini camp and before training camp starts. So it's something that we've done for five or six years now. And, uh, you know, I enjoy it because I kind of get a refresher on what some of these players did last year. And, uh, you know, most teams, uh, most fans are, are pretty optimistic in mid June, mid July as they, they get ready for training camp. And, you know, for all the, the things that the Jets still need, uh, I think they've they've got some good you know they've got some good pieces some good intriguing young players who showed flashes last year uh, that uh, you know that could make a you know a pretty decent jump in 2020 and that's kind of what I looked at it I kind of looked at it from a glass half full perspective uh, there's some there's some talent here I know that the roster is not nearly what the Joe Douglas wants and what Jet fans probably want but there's some good young pieces that. Uh, should improve in 2020. Make sure you check out Manisha's top 20 countdown in the daily news. It'll be running over the next couple of weeks and we'll be discussing it here on the show as well. Follow him on Twitter. In addition to that. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show. If you like what we're doing, doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.